Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. Thanks very much for joining us once again on KCBS In-Depth. I'm Jane McMillan. Do you have access to health care? Can you go see your doctor if you're ill or feel confident that if there's, heaven forbid, a catastrophic problem that you'll be able to get the care you need and pay for it? Would you if you didn't have a job? Well, in California, we're lucky we do have that access no matter what, as do millions of others around the nation in some states, thanks to the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, or ACA, or Obamacare. After seven years of trying to stop it, the GOP, with control now of both houses of Congress and the White House, has finally, this past week, introduced a replacement plan for Obamacare. So now the question is, would you still have access to health care, even if you lose your job under this proposed Republican plan? What are the differences? Who benefits? Who loses? We have the expert who can help us sort that out, Professor of Medicine, Dr. Andrew Bindman. Dr. Bindman has taught, practiced, and done research affiliated with San Francisco General for some 25 years. He's currently part of the Philip R. Lee Institute for Health Policy Studies at UCSF. His expertise on Medicaid policies and access to care was drawn on in the drafting of some of the legislative language in the Affordable Care Act. We're very glad he's here today. Dr. Andrew Weinman, thank you for joining us on KCBS In-Depth. We appreciate it. Oh, a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Let me ask you first about the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare, its goals, if they've reached those goals, and some of the complaints about it. When the Democrats set out to put this together in 2009, the goal that was stated was, we want to cover more people, give more people health care. And we want to make it not so expensive and help reduce costs to the nation overall in the long run. Yeah, that's right. Those were uh, a couple of the key aspects that were identified by President Obama. And uh, several of those things have occurred. Uh, you know, we have seen since the passage of that law that uh, more than 20 million Americans gained coverage. Uh, and we have seen the largest drop in the uninsured at any time. Uh, certainly since the 1960s when Medicare and Medicaid uh, became the law. So it has been very successful in terms of expanding coverage. Um, It also has had some impact on uh, what was referred to as bending the cost curve, uh, a movement towards something called alternative payment where uh, the fee-for-service system uh, was being replaced with other ways that made physicians and other providers responsible for the costs as well as the quality of care that was being provided. And so there were uh, real obvious changes in the uh, average increase in uh, Medicare spending each year since the Affordable Care Act has been passed. Past. There's also been tremendous um, uh, stability in uh, premiums, for example, from private insurers, uh, private employers, I should say, 
right? That's the way most people get their uh, insurance. So, uh, for example, the annual rate of premium increases has only been about 2 or 3% per year since the ACA has been enacted. The one place where there has been probably the most criticism raised has been in uh, the exchanges. So this was that idea that people who are trying to buy insurance on their own, and that's really, again, a small segment of the population, probably about 20 million people in that that pool um, in in the United States. And in some areas, uh, there are challenges about getting competition among insurers that make it possible to keep costs down. Now, I should say... These things preceded, frankly, a lot of uh, what's gone on in the Affordable Care Act. Uh, But um, there have been concerns, or at least questions have been raised, about whether the Affordable Care Act has done enough to counteract that. Because in some areas, people have seen very substantial rises in in their rates. Not not so much in California, but uh, in other parts of the country. So the Republicans in the last seven years have been pushing to repeal Obamacare. Seems that that's more of an ideology issue. In in that, uh, there's a mandate that people participate in the pool to help the costs. But what I want to know is what is the real gripe yeah. about Obamacare uh, as it stands, and is it true? Uh, before we get into the uh, House proposal by Paul Ryan to replace it, is it true that the Affordable Care Act is on the brink of collapse, as they've been, as the Republicans have been saying? In terms of the issue of, of collapse, no, I, I don't think that's a, a fair characterization. I, I, again, I think that's uh, probably overstating um, the impact on a relatively small number of individuals in some communities where they are having challenges getting access to uh, competition among insurers. And so that when you get into a more of a monopoly situation, the insurer is in a strong position to raise their rates in a way that can make it uh, difficult. I mean, people have probably experienced this with house insurance or other kinds of insurance that they buy. Again, a lot of that preceded the Affordable Care Act. And the Affordable Care Act, through uh, the work with the exchanges, was designed to brought, bring more competition into area. I really saw this, foresaw this problem. It's interesting, the area areas where most of this challenge has come up has been in states in which, unlike California, uh, those states have been more laissez-faire with regard to how they've tried to stimulate market competition uh, in in their exchanges and to get more insurers involved. So to me, a little bit, it's kind of like that um, sort of half joke about how there's uh, a child who kills their parents and then says, hey, I'm an orphan. This is, you know, horrible for me. And, um, you know, so a little bit of is really this uh, what's gone on in some of the these states. But let me get back to your question about what's what the is the issue? What's, yeah, the, what's gripe? the gripe? And I, I think it comes down to that probably there is a values difference. I think the Democrats really have tried to see that the main thing they were trying to accomplish with the Affordable Care Act was expansion of coverage. And while Republicans would value that, I think they he placed an even higher value on, gee, what about um, costs? And they're particularly sensitive to our, the entitlement programs. Uh, and the entitlement programs in our federal budget are things like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and um, the subsidies that are provided for low-income people to buy insurance through through the exchanges. And I think to Republicans, um, 
what the Affordable Care Act did was expand the country's commitment to entitlement programs. It expanded the Medicaid program, and it added these subsidies uh, through the exchange. And while the price of those relative to things like Medicare and Social Security are frankly much, much smaller, uh, they are still seen as adding to the burden of the federal government in terms of, of, of making payment. Now, the Affordable Care Act added taxes to offset that, to pay for them. Nonetheless, I think that that is um, a big part of the philosophical uh, issue. So let's talk about some of the differences then, the Affordable Care Act and what Paul Ryan has labeled the American Health Care Act. Let's just, for, for conversational sake, we'll stick with Obamacare and the Ryan plan, because it's confusing all of these uh, acronyms. So, the taxes that helped fund the expansion of Obamacare services for more people were on the top. The Republican plan, the Paul Ryan plan, there's a great big tax break for those at the top. So, we, that money is lost to the system. Also, to help fund uh, those at the bottom of the income scale on Obamacare, the federal government expanded Medicaid. So the federal government was helping to fund with these tax offsets, expanded coverage for more people. What's going to be the difference on if, if the Paul Ryan plan passes? Yeah. So I, I think you've made a really important point, which is the Affordable Care Act was designed to pay for itself through taxes, continuing taxes on high earners, uh, over $200,000 for an individual, or over $250,000 for a family, to continue to contribute uh, toward the Medicare uh, a program. And that was a big part of offsetting uh, the cost of the Affordable Care Act. What's so important to understand about the proposed Ryan Care plan is that, like you say, the money, if there are safe savings, they're not going back to the federal government. They're actually being given back to a small number of individuals who are paying these taxes. I've seen a report that there are going to be about 400 individuals in the country, if the Ryan Care plan passes, that will get an average of a $7 million a year tax break. So in some ways, you can think of this as we're going to take away the support for the most vulnerable in our country who are on the Medicaid program and basically pool up all the money that we were giving to support their Medicaid program and giving it back to these 400 individuals so they can get their average $7 million uh, tax break. So again, you know, I think many people might feel differently about the potential savings that could come from this program if it were somehow paying down the federal deficit, but that's not what this is about. In fact, one of the, the requirements to pass the law in the way that's being proposed by the Republicans through this arcane a technique called reconciliation, which probably some of your listeners are, are hearing the about, Senate, right. requires that there is some savings uh, to the federal government related to what they're doing. The target is it has to be a minimum of $2 billion in savings to the federal government, which, of course, sounds like a huge amount of money, but is really small potatoes in the, in the federal government's point of view. Most of the money is, frankly, being returned to a small number of private individuals, not to saving the federal government money. Another change is that the to make a pool work, the more more people have to be involved so that costs are amortized, just like Social Security or Medicare, the younger, uh, healthier have to be part of this, too, as well as just elderly or just sick uh, at the moment, because any of us can become sick at any time. So we all want to be in this pool. Uh, the way that Obamacare has done it is that 
it's a mandate that you just like you're mandated to have car insurance so that that if you get in a wreck, you don't cost the state or your community because you're not covered. Um, so there's a mandate and those who can't afford it, there is a subsidy to help. It's a different carrot stick scenario in the Ryan plan in that, yeah, you don't have to have insurance if you don't want it. But when you, if you drop it, you're going to pay a 30% surcharge the first year you want to get back in. So is that going to encourage more healthy people to be in it as a preventative scenario? Um, or who's going to be willing to do that? I mean, I guess that's a way of looking at how, how are the American, how's the American public going to gamble? Yeah, that's a really important question, and uh, it does really get to the heart of a, of a key issue. You know, this may work in a counterintuitive way that what, to what we actually want, because uh, what may happen is that people will say, great, there's no penalty, I'll, I'll go without insurance, and then if I do get sick, um, even though 30% sounds like a large surcharge for a year, relative to the amount I would have to pay out of pocket, typically, for uh, the cost of care, if I actually had to go to the hospital or, or things like that, that people will just buy at that time. So the only people who will probably be motivated to continually keep their insurance up are the sickest people, because they're the ones who are going to be using it in an ongoing way. And this, if this happened in that way, it would contribute to what some have referred to as the death spiral. That is, this phenomenon of only the sickest people get into the pool, which makes it uh, more and more expensive for the insurance companies to be able to sort of provide for them. Because, I mean, the premiums come from the actual costs that are being, you know, uh, having to be paid for for individuals who are in that pool. So probably healthier people will stay out as long as possible, not get covered. And this is why it's anticipated that the Congressional Budget Office will most likely score this bill when they're hopefully given a chance to do so, uh, and and most likely say that it will result in a, a, a loss of coverage among individuals, because many people see that the way the incentives are structured will probably drive away healthy people from coming in and really only make it an attractive thing to come in when you're when you're sick. If people choose not to be covered, there there may be some listeners out there saying, well, do what you want. This is America. But there's a cost to society, which is why insurance and other forms is mandated. Um, so what was the cost of the uninsured, the 20 million or so that are now insured under Obamacare? What was the cost to the nation before when those people were uninsured? Yeah. Well, I mean, the issues that arise from being uninsured are that people, of course, um, because, you know, healthcare is really expensive. And, you know, I think that's an important issue that needs to still be tackled regardless of party uh, affiliation, right? We're all seeing a lot about the, the rapid rise of drug costs and whether that's reasonable, you know, hospital costs. Any, anyone who's received health care and is responsible for those payments realizes this is an extraordinarily expensive thing. I mean, health care has made unbelievable advances in terms of what it can do to extend our lives, but uh, it's really expensive. And so, what happens is when people don't have coverage, they um, delay going to the doctor. And so, again, you could say, well, that's someone's individual choice to do that. But the reality is that we all sort of pay in the end for that. So one of the things is that when someone doesn't have insurance, they're less likely to have a primary care doctor. So what do they do when they get sick? They go to the emergency room. And that makes it very crowded in the emergency rooms. And when people truly have emergencies, it's then those places become not able to, to function and do their jobs in that way. So we used to see enormous waits uh, at places like 
San Francisco General Hospital and other emergency departments around town because we had a large number of uninsured people who did not have uh, a medical home, a primary care a place to go for, for their care. So preventive care uh, uh, is typically sort of thrown to the side. And what we used to see among the uninsured is that they uh, delay getting some of this preventive care and then ultimately cancers that might be detected earlier that could be treatable uh, may now show up at a time, these individuals show up at a time when their treatment is either much more expensive or, God forbid, even uh, untreatable at, at that point. So it absolutely contributes. There are many studies that demonstrate that being uninsured is bad for your health, that, that you will um, ha, uh, have worse uh, quality of life because of your health, and you will. Uh, there's many people who die related to, uh, to this. So this does have real consequences. We are talking about Obamacare and the GOP proposed replacement of that. And my guest is Professor of Medicine, Dr. Andrew Bindman of UCSF. He's with the Philip Arley Institute for Health Policy Studies. I'm Jane McMillan. I want to ask one more question there that's in the numbers category, and then we're going to talk about what the Ryan plan, what the Republican plan keeps of Obamacare, because there are very popular items in there, and they have learned that the hard way at town halls. But the, the, the other big financial difference that I see um, is rather than subsidies through Obamacare and rather than being able to buy through exchanges and get a lower rate on your insurance, that the Ryan House plan offers tax breaks. Tax credits. Tax credits to do that. And and the older you are, the larger the tax credit, the younger you are, the smaller the tax credit but what if you're young and poor or young and sick already or what it you know and would tax credits cover the the amount of money they're talking about rather than looking at your per capita income as obamacare does and rather than looking at the access to health care because different regions are more expensive than others will the tax credits cover the current cost that's being covered individually by Obamacare. Yeah, so you've said it right, which is that there is a tax credit in the Ryan Care plan, uh, and it will vary by age. What it won't do is both vary by income, as you're saying, so it will be very difficult. I mean, for an individual, the idea is for a young person, it's going to be about $2,000 to support buying insurance plan. Well, that's not going to, uh, you know, be possible. And uh, uh, for an older person, and, and by older in this case, we're still talking about people younger than 65 because the Medicare program mm -hmm. is designed for them. So, it, of course, it makes sense that you would give more money to an older person because we know health needs do increase um, with, with age. But the size of these tax credits are not going to be sufficient uh, in uh, for most people to be able to buy uh, health insurance. Insurance. And there's a couple of other key aspects. In the um, ACA, in the Obamacare plan, not only is the amount of money um, that is used to support um, the uh, – they use tax credits as well to support uh, buying in insurance, but it's pegged not only to um, – uh, your income level, but also to the price of insurance in your region, right? So it's really different um, uh, so that under the Republican plan, there won't be differences by regions in terms of how much things cost. And, you know, here in San Francisco, people recognize that it's not the same, let's take apartments. To rent an apartment in San Francisco is a much different price than it is, say, to rent an apartment in Stockton. Well, guess what? Works out that way in health insurance uh, as well. And yet this won't take that into account. So 
uh, low-income people in high-cost uh, areas, are, it's going to be impossible for them, uh, basically, to be able to make use of the tax credit to buy insurance. And one other important distinction is that in the Affordable Care Act, the growth of the value of the of the tax credit to buy insurance through an exchange grows with the rate of growth of uh, health insurance costs in, in that region. Um, that's not the case under the uh, under the Ryan Care Plan. It's basically tied to a much slower growth rate than the the health care uh, growth rate. And so, not only is the tax credit not going to be very valuable at the beginning, it's going to rapidly erode in its value over time. And so, again. I think this will probably contribute to many people losing health insurance coverage. What will this, if it passes, replacement plan offer in terms of guarantees that insurance policies, even if they're priced at a low rate, actually offer something? We know that pre-existing conditions, at least for now, would, would still be covered. But we also hear about high-risk pools. And so from a human perspective, what will or will not be salvaged, added, subtracted from Obamacare to the Ryan plan. Yeah. So one of the uh, important aspects uh, that uh, is less touted of the Affordable Care Act about um, health insurance is that it also standardized what it meant to be buying a product like that, right? And so there were two ways that that was done. One is there was something called essential health benefits, which said if you're selling health insurance, what we mean by that is it covers preventive care, it covers hospital care, it covers doctor. It, it, it sort of had these categories, and if you didn't cover those things, um, that wasn't health insurance. And uh, it also said, look, we recognize that people may make different decisions, just like one does when their car insurance about what kind of deductible you'd be willing to accept to be able to try to offset some of the costs associated with that. And that was done through a term called actuarial values, in which they said, okay, are you buying a, a bronze plan, a silver plan, a gold plan, or a platinum plan, which covered different amounts of that actuarial value? Um, the Republicans have talked about um, some interest in trying to loosen the requirements on that. So, as you can imagine, if health insurance could be a, um, a thinner product that didn't have all these things covered, it might cost less. Yes, you'd have health insurance, but you might learn, as we often did before the Affordable Care Act, that um, it's really good unless you get sick. So, um, the law as being written right now by the Republicans won't um, change that, except to some extent in the Medi-Cal program, the Medicaid program. Um, but there is quite a bit of talk that they that this is something that they would ultimately like to change, perhaps in f uh, future legislation or through a regulatory process. Well, 2020 seems to be the year that, that Medicaid would be, under this plan, cut. Uh, and that's what's helping cover um, low-income and middle-low-income people who don't have insurance through their work. So that in 2020, those cuts would start coming. The states would have to bear an additional burden, and those people could lose their insurance. Yeah. So you, you bring up an important point, which is that the majority of people who have actually gained coverage through the Affordable Care Act have done it through the Medicaid program, or what we call Medi-Cal here in California. Probably 3 to 4 million people in California have gained Medi-Cal. What will happen under Ryan Care is that come 2020, the enhanced match, that, that increased payment by the federal government to the states for these individuals, will drop dramatically uh, down to 50%. So suddenly, 
Uh, it's estimated that California, just on that basis alone, would have to come up with about eight to ten billion dollars, uh, which is a enormous amount. That's you know somewhere in the vicinity of about ten percent of our state uh, budget. That would require obviously new taxes, and, and this is a designed poison pill to make it very difficult for states to continue to uh, provide coverage to this expanded population. And we're looking at some public health issues uh, in the United States. Uh, ramping up the opioid situation. Uh, good news is that there appears to be a hep C uh, drug, but that's very expensive. Mental illness we don't address very well, even with improvements yet. So, you know, at the outset, I asked if the ACA, Obamacare, addressed the goals that were set out, the, the reasons why it was brought about in the first place. And you said, for the most part, yes, some still needs improvement. In looking at the Ryan Healthcare Plan, does this plan address the goals or meet the goals of saving money, covering the same amount of people or more? Does it address the goals that the House Republicans said they wanted to meet? Yeah, I think held to the same standard of what uh, we tried to look at in terms of the performance of the Affordable Care Act, it's hard for me to see how the Ryan Care Plan would, in fact, move us forward. Um, you know, even Republican leaders are acknowledging it's very likely that the uh, number of people who would be covered under the Ryan Care Plan will uh, be fewer than is currently the case under the Affordable Care Act. And so, you know, we know that coverage is critical as a way to get people in the door and to get health care. And um, that isn't just uh, G-elective stuff like, gee, I got a little pain in my knee, which can be quite significant for people. I don't mean to diminish it. But you, you brought up some really important issues, which is treatment of substance use issues, treatment of mental health issues, things that really our, our society is grappling with in a big way and probably contribute significantly to some of the challenges that um, uh, some adults may have in being able to stay in the workplace, which I think is a goal of, of, of both parties. So I do think that that is a, a concern that coverage is likely to go down un, under this plan. Uh, the other issue is, you know, what will this do for costs and who, who, who will, you know, save that? Um, and as we touched on earlier, um, it's not clear to me that um, uh, the way that the the money will, you know, it would be one thing if we were keeping these taxes in place and making some decisions like, gee, we have this tax money, but we need to use it to spend down the deficit rather than provide coverage. But that's not what we're doing. We're basically funneling this back, this money to to private individuals. So it's not accomplishing the goal of helping the federal government also move toward a more, um, you know, a, a better balancing of, of their own budget. So I think that's very concerning. And I think fundamentally, in terms of improving the health of the country, uh, it's impossible to do that without having people under the tent of, of coverage so that they come in for preventive care and that they uh, identify problems early on so that we can uh, treat them when they're less expensive and hopefully treat them uh, at, uh, at an earlier and faster way so they can return to the workforce and, and pursue their lives and, and, and so forth. So I think it is very concerning that, uh, that, that we probably are going to be taking a major step back backwards toward the goal of a, of a healthier nation. Uh, you know, some, there are things, we didn't touch on it earlier, but the Affordable Care Act um, had uh, a bunch of incentives as well to try to promote quality improvement. For example, we have seen dramatic reductions in hospital-acquired infections and complications during the time period of the Affordable Care Act because, um, you know, it's a smaller provision, doesn't get the publicity of some of the other things we've talked about, but basically put in place 
place uh, penalties for hospitals for not uh, putting in safeguards to make sure that when someone comes into the hospital and they're very vulnerable and you're trying to take care of them, that you don't introduce complications by them getting infections and so forth. And there's been a dramatic reduction in those infections and so forth that has been estimated to save probably a, more than 100,000 lives uh, over the last uh, four to five years. So, you know, we were making enormous progress both in terms of coverage, improvements in quality, and bending the cost curve. And I do think that, uh, unfortunately, although this is being billed as a way to try to improve the Affordable Care Act, in my mind, it's really a step backwards for our country. To quote our president, who knew health insurance could be so complicated? I think a lot of people knew, and you've explained it very well. Oh, it's been my pleasure to be able to talk with you. And, uh, you know, I think this is such an important issue. And I hope that um, you and your listeners will continue to try to, you know, uh, look uh, beyond the rhetoric to understand the facts of what's going on, because um, this will probably affect everyone's lives in, in, in some way. Dr. Andrew Beinman, thank you for your expertise. And we'd like to tap into that again as this process goes along. Well, thanks very much. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. My guest on KCBS In-Depth has been Professor of Medicine, Dr. Andrew Bindman, affiliated with the Philip R. Lee Institute for Health Policy Studies at UCSF. I'm Jane McMillan. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program, Sundays at 8.30 a.m. and 8.30 p.m. And now available for download at kcbs.com. In-Depth is produced by Cheryl Raines for All News 740 and FM 106.9 KCBS. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.